0: As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to Androids Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM broadcasting, normally out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. This is not Guelph, Ontario, University of Guelph campus. It is Guelph, Ontario. It is my office campus, and the office is looking mighty cluttered right now because I'm in the middle of home renos, and anyone who's gone through home renovations knows what a total disaster it turns your life into and that's if it is any room in the house. Dear listener, I challenge you to attempt to renovate your kitchen. Do it professionally, do it yourself, I don't care what. I challenge you to try to renovate your kitchen and not go crazy with the chaos that it creates. It's remarkable what a series of dominoes can get set off the second you lose a sink and then you lose countertops and then you lose cabinets and now you have all your stuff that was normally in those cabinets squirreled away wherever you can find them and we're not even in the worst place because we got some of these fantastic and this is a simple recommendation for anyone who's struggling with kitchen space get the IKEA kitchen cabinets the tall ones that you build and you tilt up on their sides like giant coffins Get those guys, they are fantastic, they look great, and they store tons of things. You can even get one that uh, has like a microwave spot in the center, and uh, that's really good. But right now life is chaotic, and if you could see The Office in its current form, you, you would get shivers. And I know some people can maybe live like this, but it is grinding on me, and we were so close. We're so close to greatness And when it is ready, I'll be so happy. We'll finally have a dishwasher and we'll finally have sort of leveled up what it is to be living. You know, I don't mind washing dishes. I hate it. I've done it long enough in my life. I know that it's not as good as a dishwasher and I know it's a giant waste of time and it's inefficient and doesn't clean them as well. I'm past that point. Pro dishwashers out there, as in hand washers, you need to get away. Release the past, embrace the future. I'm not saying you got to go and spend $3,000 on some top of the line mealy dishwasher, but I'm telling you, you, you can't go back. Once you've dishwashed machine style, you can never go back to hand washing. Android Dungeon, CFRU 93 FM. Check us out on CFRU.ca, or you're listening live perhaps at 93 3 on the FM dial, or perhaps you're listening by Anchor. Or one of the many podcasting websites that carries our show. Thanks to Joel. Joel handles all those uploads to Anchor and uh, all that side. So thank you, Joel. I am solo today. Joel cannot be with us today. He is doing God knows what and was going to join us before he was roped into making dinner for his pregnant wife. She uh, unfortunately broke both legs and arms and uh, is in a, a wheelchair. And is incapable of making anything on her own. It's very sad to see. And thoughts and prayers go out to her. And he's also got to play a game with her immediately too. So, you know, I, I've we've all been there. And uh, thoughts and prayers. I'm thinking of all the various mythological figures and deities that I can approach to seek out favors and boons to help protect and guide Joel. As he goes down this next step in his life, especially since I think he's about to pull in Agricola Caverna in real life and uh, start a new family. We'll see what happens in the coming days. But there could be some interesting times with regard to participation on the show in the next coming weeks. But we'll see what happens. You never know for sure. But in the meantime, you'll, you'll most likely have me for the immediate future, at least for the next three or four months. And then God knows what's going to happen. Android Dungeons is a show about complaining about your office, complaining about home renovations, complaining about whatever happened to you right before you sat down to record. I just got back from Stratford. I went with Kayla. We went to visit our friends, Justin and Natasha. And we finally got to play something that has been sitting in Justin's closet for more than two years. And it's a game that some of you might have heard of. Tore up Kickstarter about two years ago or so, and that is Lords of Hellas. Lords of Hellas is a dudes on a map, a game. I'm not sure. There's no. There's very. All the dice in the game are confined to the uh, one specific section of it, so it's not as merit as other things. And uh, honestly, almost is arguably less. Dice Chucky than uh, one of my favorite games, Cyclades, but the comparisons are very obvious. And Lords of Hellas, like I said, is a a dudes-on-a-map game, and for those who don't know, dudes-on-a-map refers to a mixture of area control and... Take that. Invasion, defending, seeking out goals, but typically involving miniatures or cubes that are moved into different spots and you take control and you gain resources based on these locations that you control. And you attempt to push people out of their spots or defend against being pushed out of your spots all in pursuit of certain objectives. And that's where, I, I, based on my limited understanding of the game, I think Lords of Hellas, I think, tries to, uh, I'd say with reasonable success, uh, move beyond the typical sort of, let's say, risk style of win the game under these circumstances which is just take over the world and instead focuses on to four different win conditions and the game is set in this weird techno-Greek mythological future and it's got a lot to, of similarities I'd say with um, well maybe not a lot but it, it's got it's a helping of mechanical styles such from Kemet and um, and I think I would say that's where the, the main inspiration comes from. It's not as murder-friendly or happy as Kemet, and it's not nearly, I think, as interesting as Kemet as far as what the game is doing. But it's an interesting game overall. And what you're doing is every character takes on the role of one of these uh, heroes of Greek mythology. In my case, I had Achilles, Kael had Heracles, Natasha had Perseus, and Justin had Helen. And each of these come with a very basic sort of special ability that helps separate them from everyone else. And you have a minor sort of RPG element to your character that they start off with certain stats. And the three stats are speed, leadership, and strength. And leadership determines how many of your soldiers, or as the game calls them, hoplites, you can move on your turn. Strength relates to your fighting capability specifically with uh, hunting the giant monsters that are floating around the board and speed refers to how far you can move your hero from territory to territory on your turn and it's got this sort of split action to the game where you have basic actions you can do and you can pick and choose which ones you want to do and when you want to do them or if you want to do them at all and these are really basic things like move your hero move soldiers Uh, It gets a little more complicated when it comes to the prayer action. And uh, there's a fourth one that's escaped me off the top of my head. Um, And then you have the special action. And the special action is, I think, one of the more interesting parts of the game. And that is something where, on your other board, you have available to you seven actions at all times. And of these seven actions, six of them can be taken once at a time And as soon as you pick them, you put a little marker on them to indicate you've chosen them, and you're not allowed to choose that action again until you or someone else takes the seventh action, which accelerates the game by putting a a bit of a moving the clock ahead a bit and also resets everyone, including yourself, by taking all those action blocking uh, tokens that you put on the special actions off the board. So now they're all available again. Uh, They also heal your hero, and they uh, cause monsters to behave in a certain way. So there's some interesting things that can happen. And the the game really lives and dies on this sort of resetting of the actions. Because there's this balancing act that I don't think is quite as elegant as other games, where you really want to get some of these back. So you want to take the thing to reactivate it, because it helps everyone else so much. But... The you're trying to maximize the amount most amount of stuff you can do before you basically reset the game board and also accelerate the game clock. And by accelerate the game clock, I mean there are all these really neat uh, monuments uh, on the board. And each monument is to one of the, uh, the biggies in the Greek mythological canon. You have Zeus, Athena, and Hermes. And I think there are some more of some of the expansions. Justin's got a ton of them. And what these are, are they start off as just nothing, just kind of pedestals in the ground with two spots for you to put your priests. And you gain priests by building these temples in certain dedicated spots on the board. And for every temple you have, you get priests up to a max of four. And as your prayer action, you can dump one of these priests onto any one of these temples anywhere on the board. And once the priest shows up, you get to immediately upgrade your character based on whatever god you're worshipping. So if you put a priest on Zeus, you get to go up on the strength track. If you're worshipping Hermes, you go up on the speed. And if you're worshipping uh, Athena, you go up on the leadership. And you don't have to be pious towards one of them. It's just whatever, pick and choose. But there are two spots max for anyone, including yourself, to be on one of these gods. So after you've gone to one of these gods and have upgraded... The only way for these priests to go back home is to take this last action, which is end turn, and that causes all the priests to go home. So they go back to your, they go back into the your pool, and everyone who's controlling a, a temple at the time gets to take a priest and put it into their action uh, section. Basically, it means you can play with them again, and then whoever triggered that action gets to go and rummage around in the. The, the beautiful little box, and take a piece of this statue and sort of build it, a 3D statue, and you're building it on the board and recreating one of these, you know, a monument to one of these gods. And the and I think this is the point where I have to address the, the elephant in the room, which is that the game is extremely focused on its miniatures. That was one of the big selling points, like a lot of Kickstarters, I'd say, to this day, but also it seemed especially to one year ago, uh, one to two years ago, that you couldn't put out a Kickstarter of this type without it being sold primarily as, look at these minis, look at how cool they are. And to be fair, they work, because miniature-heavy games are very sexy. And they really get the noggin jogging with regard to interacting with neat 3D objects with some creativity and some nice sculpting work done. And for a lot of people, the game itself is secondary to the production. And often this can lead to maybe mixed, at best, gameplay at the cost of having gorgeous components. And I'd say in Lords of Hell's's, um case, with only one gameplay under my belt, I don't feel comfortable saying whether or not the gameplay is, suffers as a result of the minis or not. the The minis are just nice. And they do the job and they really take it to the next level. And especially when you see what the game comes with by default, you almost feel as though the game, like the, the publisher, is punishing you for not getting the better content out there because the minis just are so much better than the cardboard and the basic components to the game that you almost wonder why would you sell this game without this stuff? It's just too good. I'm all in favor of choice. If you don't care about that crap, go ahead, you should be able to buy a cheaper version of it. But it almost just seems so much to the detriment of the game itself that they would even attempt to sell a flat cardboard version of this when everything else seems to be leaning into this style and this, this, these components so heavily. It, it, it almost feels disingenuous to pretend that there's another way to... It, it, these components are anything but the default ones and that this should be the standard for any of the games in this Uh, series, so. So, Lords of Hellas is a dudes on a map game. You're taking all these actions, you're bouncing all around player by player, doing these things, grabbing territories. In order to grab territories, you need to have a certain amount of soldiers to take control of it. And some territories take two, some takes three, four, five, so on. Um, And there are four victory conditions. The first victory condition is controlling two entire swaths of territory of one color, and these range from uh, three territories to... or three uh, provinces to four provinces to five provinces, varying difficulties to take them all. Another victory condition is uh, sitting on top of five monuments, I think, at the end of your turn. Uh, Or not monuments, excuse me, uh, temples. Controlling five temples at the end of your turn. Uh, Another one is defeating three monsters and the last one is holding on to a com- uh, the territory of a completed monument for three rounds which sounds insanely difficult based on everything i've seen so i've addressed the the first one which is holding territories uh the second one holding on to temples that's pretty simple you just have people build temples you can fight to kick them off. It seems tricky because the temples are spread out all over the map and you're really kind of pushing yourselves thin. And it's, it's a little. I think that one would be very tricky to kind of lock down if you. Because you'd be stretching your forces all over the place. The monsters I haven't gotten into. So, also around the map are these gigantic, beautifully constructed techno mythological recreations of famous Greek monsters like the Cyclops or Cerberus or the Sphinx, Medusa, so on. I guess the Gorgon, but whatever. And in a fashion similar to something like Champions of Midgard, but not nearly as frustrating or punishing, I'd say, you can send your hero to hunt them. And when you do this, you basically engage in this tit-for-tat battle with the monster. And the monster has its own special card, or character sheet, and a card with its actions, and a deck that draws... And what you're trying to do is you need to wound the monster enough that it dies and you can take a trophy based on what the monster is. The monster has a bunch of different weaknesses and you have to have in your possession cards that correspond to those weaknesses or enough that you can kind of trade three of to deal weakness to anywhere or special abilities and so on. So what happens is that you're, you attack the monster, deal wounds to it, and then the monster gets to draw and attack you and whoever's doing, whoever's to the left of you is controlling the monster. So they're trying to be as mean as possible, unless you get a Care Bear. And they're just like, oh, I don't want you to lose. I'm just going to be nice. And it just keeps going until you can't, you are not capable of attacking the monster or like exploiting, uh, putting a wound on it, or the monster knocks you out in some way or prevents you from continuing the fight. So. If you take a wound, what's kind of neat about this is that your character, you can have all these different stats, like I said, leadership and speed and strength. But what happens is when you take damage, you have to pick one of these if if you are given the option, and you flip the token over to wherever it is on your track. It's always going to mean your strength is reduced to one, or your leadership is reduced to one, or speed, or so on. Um, and you have to heal it either by triggering an end of turn or spending a turn on the prepare action or so on. So there's different ways to heal, but it, it's definitely a, a fairly crippling action to occur to you if you're wounded. So a way you can win is by killing three of these monsters, which seems very, very difficult based on what we saw. And unless you've got incredible luck or incredible draws, it's, it's going to be a slog. And frankly, I think almost impossible to do unless you've really been preparing and really building up a bunch of cards, like the combat cards, which you're only allowed to max a four of by default. So it seems like it's a tricky action to get away with. And finally, the last, like I was saying, is hold on the monument. And the monument's what I'm referring to, that you build and you build and you build. And as you build, it gets, you know, It it gets taller and prettier on the board. But it also gets stronger for you to send priests there and people get rewarded for dumping their units, which is a nice little sense of escalation in the game. And I think if I had to say anything about Lords of Hellas, it has a sense of communal progression in the sense that everyone seems to be getting more powerful or stronger simultaneously, which is a fun sensation for people to have when you're playing a game. And it's kind of the, some would argue, the Blizzard school of thought of... Making everything imbalanced so that everyone complains about everyone else being, having, you know, oh, this character is no good or this race is too powerful and so on. So, Lords of Hells, I think, does something like this in a, in a couple of ways. Most Obviously, with some of the monument construction, but also with the, the fact that every now and then when you build a temple, there's a draft that goes on. And you draw a bunch of cards and you pass them around, like you're playing Seven Wonders or Sushi Go. And everyone gets to draw one of these cards, which acts as a permanent upgrade to your, you know, your actions as a player in the game. And some of these range from fantastic to so-so or highly situational. But the fact is, everyone gets one. And it's a very unique uh, example of gameplay design to give everyone really cool stuff to just permanently make them better as the game goes on. So everyone should be climbing constantly and getting more and more powerful, which leads to a really good sense of this... It's not quite a video game tier sensation, but the, the the power fantasy, the, the, the feeling like you are uh, a mythological hero that is... Qu- you know, not necessarily come from nothing, but you start fairly weak, and all of a sudden, by the end of the game, you're you're doing way more than you ever did, at, you at the, you or ever thought you were capable of at the start of the game. And the only issue is that everyone else is doing the same thing, so you got to really keep an eye on them. So that's my surface impression of Lords of Hell. so We're gonna take a musical break, and I'll get back with my overall thoughts on the game. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Android's Dungeon, which you just heard was two tracks off of Grandma's Cottage from the album Grandma's Cottage. What year did it come out? I think, uh, oh, 2019. First track, Snickerdoodle. Second track, Ginger Snaps. I challenge anyone to not listen to that crunchy, low bit rate midi-esque music and not tell me you're transported away to a very simple, warm, cozy time. Visit your grandparents. Their Stone House in the country. You come in. It's warm. You can smell something cooking in the oven. The fire is crackling. Your cousins are there. Everyone's wearing sweaters. People are sitting around the living room. Presents are under the tree. Snow in the field. Sunny outside. It's cold, but not freezing. Warmth. Family. Just pleasant sensations. That's Grandma's Cottage for you. Not quite dungeon synth. Cottage Synth? Cozy Synth? I don't know. Today's show is sponsored by Grandma's Cottage. Check it out on Bandcamp, by the way. And let's keep going. Before we went to the break, we were talking about Lords of Hellas, and here are my thoughts on the game. I don't know what to say. I've got one play under my belt. It took way longer than I thought. Uh, I wasn't bored ever, though. The rules are light but complicated. What I mean is that It's very difficult to, I think, just sit down and play the game as is. Uh, A lot of stuff isn't intuitive uh, at first glance. There are a lot of edge cases that pop up. And for a rulebook that's very short, I feel like they needed to add more pages to make things clearer. I think the technical writing on it was weak, some of the font choices, some of the design decisions are are not conducive to learning the game on the fly. And it, it kind of exacerbated the issue of the our host, Justin, had played it solo once or twice, so he had a general idea of the main beats, but the solo game is much more different than multiplayer games with people. So we sat down and probably got playing properly around 1.30, 2 o'clock, and we didn't finish until 430 And even though I'd say that the game bills itself as a two hour game, uh, I think it felt like it was an hour longer than it needed to be just because we were fumbling through the rules, which is perfectly normal. And it's happened to me plenty of times. Um, But it's just one of those frustrating things when you're sitting down trying to play a game and learn a game that when you're, you're fishing through the rule book constantly or you're, there are lots of questions about the clarity of certain actions. And you, on these player aids, they have very simple breakdowns of what are you supposed to be doing on your turn, but they are so sparse in the information that it doesn't really mean anything. So what would it kill you, for example, when it says um, move a hoplite to just right underneath like a little, some iconography saying leadership skill... Like the symbol there and one territory. Or some indication to show you what they mean by that. Or what they mean by army. And the difference between an army and a hoplite. It makes sense after you play the game. But as it stands, you're kind of a little confused sometimes with terminology. The monster combat. Pretty intuitive once you figure it out. But at first, it's a little confusing. And I I, I guess that's kind of the, the summation of the game. Easy... Once you know what you're doing but difficult at first because honestly once everyone figured out the turns flew by because your actions are very limited and especially at the beginning of the game with your leadership skill so low it feels like one of those things you have to pump up very quickly if you want to start accomplishing stuff and grabbing territory because by default if your leadership skill is one you can only move one soldier per turn. So it leads to these situations where you're spending multiple turns trying to move people in these spots to grab more territory. And in order to grab more territory... Because your your hero that you're moving around on the board contributes nothing to this sort of stuff. Your hero can start quests, which are great. Uh, Your hero can hunt monsters, which is great. And sometimes they can boost your fights, not directly, but just by being around soldiers or adjacent or so on. Um, But it's... It's a little confusing coming from the world of Comet, let's say, or Cyclades, where you're thinking these heroes are a big deal and you want to use them all the time, but, oh, by the way, they're for doing this whole separate sort of game. So it's, it was a little confusing, a little unintuitive with regard to how that works. Frankly, once you get down to it, the game is very, very simple. And it might be a bog-standard dudes-on-a-map game with a lot of extra chrome on top uh we only got into a couple of fights between players in this game i started to fight with justin justin started to fight with natasha and i think someone else was going to start with fight with me imminently i think kayla was about to invade uh, if the game had gone on for another round um and there was one moment where he had a false end to the game which terrified me for a second because i was thinking oh no what a lame way for the game to end which is that the game has this thing where if you control all of one, like I was saying, all of one color of of a uh, territory, you get a something called a glory token, and the glory token can be used in a couple of ways, but the main one is there's an entire action on your game board of a special action called Usurp, which allows you to go in and basically annex one of those territories if you don't control it, or if somebody else has currently kicked you off it and is now squatting in it, you can just boop push them away. You can get one of these glory tokens also by completing a quest. Uh, And there are three quests that start the game up near the top, and you can move your hero onto them. And if you fulfill, fulfill certain qualifications, you can start further on the quest, but every time you can, if you want to, spend your hero's action turn or movement to proceed on the quest down to the bottom. And whenever your hero completes said quest, you get a reward based on the card, but you also get to take a glory token. From the area that the hero was in. Now what I'm confused about. I'm not sure if there are multiple glory tokens. Or if you let's say take it from somebody. If they already have it. Or you can't take it if somebody already has it. I don't know. We never encountered that situation. I feel like we would have been running into it imminently. If uh, the game had gone on. But as it stands. uh, I guess my, my general thoughts on one play. Was that there were. We had one false victory. And it turned out she hadn't won. Uh, partially because the maps weren't super clear on which territories were which. Uh, just some of the muted colors, uh, par- I'd say the, uh, the uh, I don't know if tint is the right word, but the uh, contrast on the map, it didn't pop enough, I think, in for certain things that were very important to keep an eye on with regard to territories. Um, and then I had a false victory when I had two glory tokens, but that one didn't really count, but then I... I got the proper one at the end when I grabbed an extra territory and finally legit had all of red and all of yellow uh, with the help of finishing quest too. So overall, we I think everyone had a good time, um, but it was just it was it felt very long at not boring, but it felt long at times. And even though um, I won, I, I don't consider it a... A strategic or tactical victory in any sense beyond the fact that we were all fumbling through this game, learning together. And it was nice that hopefully we all just, you know, know how to play the game better in the future. And we all kind of made a promise to each other to make sure we play it again soon so we don't forget it. But frankly, I have a hard time thinking I'll forget most of this game because, like I said, it is mostly very simple. There's just a ton of chrome and there's a lot of. I don't think this setup is brutal. But I think there's enough going on there that you could confuse people. And I'm unsure, but I think it might be something that would appeal to fans of Scythe. Because there's enough extra stuff going on that it it ditches the, I think, fairly weak Euro aspect of Scythe that turns the game into kind of a leave-me-alone, passive-aggressive, engine-building nonsense game that I that i honestly i love scythe i think it's a it's a neat game and i've played a lot of it but the more i think about it and the more i play it I, I think it is just a it's a schizophrenic or bipolar experience of that cannot focus on what it wants to be and maybe i'd love to see some pro scythe players play but frankly i find it just devolved into degenerate action uh, economy uh, optimization and i think lords of hellas not necessarily threads the euro needle as much as it threads the area control needle better. Better with uh, a sense of Ameritrashy make your make your armies and heroes better in this army or in this Ameritrash pseudo RPG way. So looking forward to playing it again. It's a beautiful game with uh, with the the minis are gorgeous. And I think the map could use a little bit of work, and I think with a little bit more technical writing or editing, the rulebook could be better too. But overall, I'm very happy with the experience. I'm very happy I got to play it finally after two and a half years. So Lords of Hellas, check it out. We'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned. back to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just listened to was another two tracks from Grandma's Cottage from the album Grandma's Cottage, 1999. No, it's not 1999. It's 2019, excuse me. Uh, First track Thumbprint. Second track, Jelly Jewels. Again, notice that all these tracks so far are based on recipes or the names of very cozy desserts, baked goods that grandma would have made makes you hungry doesn't it makes you want to sit down with some tea soft glow the Christmas tree and the lights everyone just relaxing getting ready for the next big day maybe some of your aunts and uncles have left maybe some are staying over you're playing with your new toys building your lego maybe fighting with the computer to install a new computer game doesn't work You're frustrated, but, you know, maybe you'll get to it. Maybe your computer at home will work. You're stuffed full. Another Christmas has come and gone. But you don't have to be back at school for another week or so, so you're going to make the most of it. Before we left, we were talking about Lords of Hellas, and I gave my thoughts on that I know I mentioned Kemet a few times, and uh, just before we moved on, I want to mention that if you get a chance to play it, I think Kemet is one of the greatest dudes on a map game ever made. They recently reprinted it. I don't know what the difference is with the reprint. I think maybe they fixed some rules or streamlined some things. I think they made the map look a bit better. The map is hideous in the original. I don't mean hideous in a splotter where we're too cheap or lazy and we're Dutch. So nuts to you way, but I think it's just in a kind of weird euro french spanish take on designing a, uh, an egyptian sort of arena of sorts for various factions to kill each other uh but it's really gross and it's uh it's so dis- it's uh, it's not distracting but it's just not very pretty whatsoever so i have a fi- i think the new one redid that um but kemet itself is just fantastic and it is, I think, the, the standard, the gold standard for Dudes on a Map games because it has a very deep and complicated Euro-style action selection. It has a very deep and complicated skill tree. And it has an extremely simple yet varied and dynamic combat system. And Kemet is not only a very pretty game, but it's a fast game. And what sets it apart from others is that Kemet is a game that wears its lust for violence on its sleeve and is one of the few games I know that you can win by just killing other people. You get victory points for fighting and winning people and starting fights and winning fights. You, depending on which tech tree you go, you can get victory points for defending successfully you are encouraged to sacrifice your soldiers at the end of a battle and bring them up to the glory of heavens and spend their corpses as currency to get new things and build new troops and you know just play around. But it's a tremendous game that has a lot going on and really is something that I think I've never played quite like anywhere else. And is a perfect blend of violence and euro gaming. That, like I said, is the gold standard for those types of games. And I would highly encourage anyone who's ever been who who likes murder, death, kill, kill, take that style of gameplay, but also enjoys depth to it. Run out and get a copy of Chemet. There's an expansion. I guess there's technically two expansions. Um, the first expansion adds another type of pyramid and the second expansion makes a one versus all style of gameplay I haven't played the second one I've heard it so 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 to each their own but you should be able to find a a copy of the original for a reasonable price especially with uh, the reprint kind of sucking all the oxygen out of the room Um, moving on in the Diamonds of the Show, I want to talk about two games I've been playing recently. I've already gone on about Shin Megami Tensei V. I've been playing on and off. Uh, it is a it's it's sort of a stressful game because it's quite difficult. And unless you know what you're doing and really want to grind some things out or really bang your head against a wall, I would say, that's not the right word phrase. Um, invest your resources into achieving certain goals it can be quite tricky to succeed handily like a lot of games of this type of the jrpg uh, style that if you want to grind things out you can grind to your heart's content and you can probably steamroll the game moving on and on and on Um, the only issue is that it can really take forever and unless you're really the type of person doesn't get bored grinding and I have a you know I have a love hate relationship with it. I'm more than happy to do it now and then, but I don't like it when I feel like um it's not fast enough in the sense of combat kind of dragging or there's little bits and pieces here and there. I'm constantly doing a loop that doesn't feel smooth enough to justify it and If it sounds like I'm kind of denigrating the game, I'm not all of these games have this type of gameplay loop um I think it is just the the artistic style of the game and maybe the 30 frames a second and some little kind of technical jank here and there kind of puts a sour taste in my mouth with the game. And I wish I was running at 60 frames a second and everything was just snappy, 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 snappy. So maybe in the future when it eventually comes to the PC and you're not sitting there staring at the Switch or whatever, or Sat's Switch you're playing it on, uh, it'll be a different story. But until then, I think it is still a fantastic game. And it has streamlined all the best parts of the, uh, the Shin Megami Tensei franchise and kind of ditched the stuff that you don't like. Um, and it, it's turned it into a very, how do I put this, a very total experience that is probably the, the, the pinnacle of the series so far in terms of its technical or its gameplay. I still think so far that nocturne does a better job at the environments and the surreal nature and the uh, this this sense of apocalyptic foreboding techno future that the that no one, none of the games in the series have come close to and I think part of the issue with the open world stuff is that you it's tough to kind of maintain that but they're doing their best it's just that the environments are just so weird and so jarring and the contrast and and style is so bright in parts that you, you can only stare at bright yellows and bright reds and uh, blues and greens for so long for you. It feels like your eyes are burning a bit. And I think it's, especially with the Unreal Engine and some of the, the flourishes of their meshing and their texture work, that it just kind of starts to it starts to grind on you slightly. So uh, that's Shimming intense A S MT5. I love the game. I love the series. I'm more than happy to play it, and I will keep playing it. I will finish this game for sure. Um, I just wish it was more optimized, a little more streamlined, and a little more creative with regard to its graphics. That's all I'll say right now. And uh, last but not least, before we go to our final musical break, I have also been playing Rogue Legacy 2, which is the sequel to Rogue Legacy, which came out, I feel like, oh, Lord. Like 2012, 2013. I could be way off. Um, and it's a, uh, a roguelite side scrolling action game where you are running through a castle with various sections and fighting monsters, trying to survive, finding upgrades, taking all these, the gold and the resources you find, and then. When your character eventually dies, you take all these resources and you dump them into a, a castle. And as you put these the gold into things, different places to invest your gold show up. And you unlock different classes and new talents and different abilities. And different characters in the little village outside the castle show up. So it is it has a very distinct gameplay loop. It is quite difficult. I'm finding it to be kind of frustrating at times. For some reason, some of the projectiles in this game just elude me. And I think the game has very unfriendly hitboxes for the projectiles and also extremely friendly ones for you and your weapon at times. Uh, The game tries to say everything is fair. And I think that's about 75% right. The game loves to say it's fair, but then throws bullet hell at you. And when it's bullet hell and you have a fairly fat character on the screen with limited mobility... It doesn't quite feel like you're necessarily playing a game that is designed to be like pure skill. You can get around this stuff. This is if you get hit, it's on you. There are plenty of times where stuff's happened to me and I've said, Oh, for God's sake. But you've looked back and said, Yeah, it's my fault. I was greedy. I was dumb. My reflexes were low. The other times we were doing it and you're seeing, what is that? What's going oh my god, that was stupid. That's just, it's fun. It's addictive. It's fairly inexpensive. Uh, I saw a guy with a review on Steam where he has a thousand hours in it, which is shocking to me. Uh, some classes are very much better than others. Uh, some of the fairy chess challenges feel a little busted too. I think they're designed explicitly for certain characters, or if you have a build, uh, which I think isn't totally fair, but that's just on me. Uh, but so far, it's a fun game, and I think easily worth the price when it's on sale. Don't pay full price. It's still in early access, but they've updated it 31 times since it's been in early access. I just don't know why companies like this don't just put out the game, just finish it. But uh, if they can keep something in early access and just keep dribbling out content, you know, why would they? What incentive is there? So I've I've helped reward them. Anyway, that's a wrap. Musical break. Be back in a minute. Bye. Welcome back to Androids Dungeon, which you just heard from Grandma's Cottage was Russian T-Balls. It is not a supply for a sports team, and it is not slang for drugs or some sort of sex act. It is a baked good, so get your head out of the gutter, or out of the sports gutter, the dugout. I'm Jack, this is the end of Androids Dungeon. CFRU through three FM. It's the Christmas show. Hence, Grandma's Cottage sponsoring us. It's not very Christmassy outside. I think it's going to be raining on Christmas. But ultimately, you know, Christmas is about family. It's about being cozy. It's about being comfortable. And it's about relaxing. Try to invoke joy, all these things. It's crazy times out there. People want you to be scared. People want you to be frantic. People want you to be hating other people. Just don't. Just relax. Listen to some Grandma's Cottage. Maybe with Grandma. Although I don't think Grandma's like Grandma's Cottage. Could be wrong. If your Grandma likes Grandma's Cottage, please let me know. Please get a picture. Please shoot us an email at adradiocfru.ca uh, Alright, uh, AD radio. Dro- AD radio C- cfru. That's a Twitter account, sorry. Uh, droiddungeonradio at gmail.com Checks out on Facebook at the Guelph Board Gamers Group. Board Gaming Group. That's where we post all the uh, latest stuff. Just enjoy yourself. It's the holidays. Try to get some time off. And don't slip. It's really bloody icy out there. Throw some salt down. Preferably some salt that doesn't hurt dog paws, because I know my dog is very sensitive to that stuff. Anyway, until next time, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Be awesome to each other. Talk to you later.